All right, it is the week of August 29th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick O'Jay, and today we've got a shorter episode again for you this week. We will get back to longer episodes starting next week, but it's a lot going on these past two weeks and not too much business news, so we're going to focus on the important things. We've got three main topics. One, we're going to talk about The Rock and the UFC's new footwear partnership. A lot of implications to this, uh, some for fighters, some not, as we'll get into we, we need to explore it a little bit further, especially with newer information that's come out about this. Then we're going to do our quick hit section. Got a couple of things we need to talk about there. And lastly, we're going to dive into Triller doing an IPO as well as being sued by Sony for non-payment. Lots to unpack and discuss there. So that's going to take up a big chunk of time. As always, got timestamps at the bottom. If you're on YouTube, hit the like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, what have you. Always appreciate it. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. First up on the docket, uh, the UFC and Dwayne Johnson's Project Rock have launched their first ever co-branded Project Rock X UFC footwear built for those who walk the walk. If you can't tell, I'm reading directly from a UFC uh, website PR release. Uh, So some quotes from this. UFC's world premier MMA organization announced today that Project Rock, the innovative performance brand created by trailblazing global entertainer and entrepreneur Dwayne The Rock Johnson, has launched its first ever co-branded footwear, the Project Rock X UFC BSR2 in Project Rock Slides. Uh, let's see. Quote here from The Rock, the men and women Warriors of UFC compete in their iconic octagon with pride, purpose, passion, intensity, and mana, said Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Legacy is a very important word to me, and our Project Rock is proud to deliver training gear to help support and fuel all UFC athletes who seek to establish their own impactful legacy in the UFC and beyond. Uh, We're talking here about a shoe, a unisex shoe, that a bunch of highlights they have listed here about what they're supposed to help for workouts and then sliders which i'm assuming we'll see tomorrow um when fighters walk to the octagon right when they're doing that um that whole thing so let's see starting september 1st co-branded project rock x ufc footwear will be made available for sale at retail outlets around the world online at under armor and dicksportinggoods.com so if you go to under armor i didn't check out dicks but if you go to under armor i'm assuming this will be the same price they're retail at about a hundred dollars uh at least the bsr training shoes do i didn't see the sliders that's that's a fair amount of money for some shoes um not a ton but you know more than your typical sneaker um also important to note that on Twitter, we had good old Robert Joyner, which is at Rob Nashville, who's a great follow if you're not following him, uh, you know, kind of essentially say like, hey, Rock, you're exploding the fighters here. And then the one and only John Nash followed up saying, asked around and not only are fighters not going to get paid anything to wear the shoes, the UFC is apparently requiring fighters to do interviews with Johnson's media company, Seven Bucks. So to recap real quick, you've got two brand new shoes, uh, well, pair of shoes and then sliders. You have fighters being required to wear them to the octagon, I'm assuming, um, as well as... Wouldn't be shocked if um, they they have to use them in 
training montages or, or videos or random stuff there. Maybe not, but again, wouldn't be shocked there. Um, I would imagine the fighters would get compensated for any commercial shot or anything of that nature. But, but other than that, they're not getting a piece of the pie. And if anything, they are now required to do more work in that they're going to have to give interviews to seven bucks, which is the rocks media company. This isn't super surprising, right? We've talked about this for a while now, given the control the UFC has on sponsorships, they are not required to give any money to the fighters for any new sponsors. They limit what fighters can wear to the octagon, right? Got to wear the Venom apparel, all that fun stuff. But in terms of how they split that with fighters, they don't have to split any of it if they don't want. And this is further proof of that. If, I mean, providing that... Um, providing that, sorry, <laughs> providing that the, what we're hearing here is accurate from John, which I trust it is. You're getting paid nothing and you're doing more work if you're a fighter. How much more work, how many more interviews you have to do, we'll see. It may be just, you know, part of the normal scrum if you're in the main event or a featured fight and then you just, with the other uh, media interviews you have to do, they just tack one on or they do it at the same time, right? But wouldn't be shocked if it is a completely separate interview that you have to now do if you're a main event fighter or a featured prelim fighter or what have you, and you're not getting compensated for it. And it's more about just exposure. This was always the, the end goal goal i think for the ufc's uniform kits right with reebok they obviously struggled but with venom we saw this with crypto.com where yes fighters got some part of the cut still not a ton right for the 75 million dollars or whatever it was but this will continue to happen you will have more and more sponsorships where companies are going to get their logos on the uniform on a UFC fighter in some form or fashion. I cannot imagine that the rest of the, the Venom uniform is going to remain blank for the remainder of their contract. I, I can't imagine it. They're going to at least attempt, the UFC will go out and attempt to sell more space on that. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if started selling things on their shorts footwear is now kind of cut off here uh, because the rock has a deal with them. And I'm assuming that's kind of an exclusive one for at least octagon apparel footwear, but you know, I, it, it's going to continue to happen. This was always the end goal to expand revenue. The UFC has grown into most of the lucrative geographical markets at this point. There are still a couple of places they can look to expand and that they will continue to expand, especially as certain areas of the world become more developed, get more of an influx in money. Um, I believe Asia and India are going to be the next big geographical moves for the UFC, but they'll wait until kind of the time is right. Yes, Africa is there too, and they will take advantage of that. Uh, even though Usman lost, 
you know, they're still going to do a UFC Africa. That's still going to be a thing. But in terms of emerging markets, I think those are probably the next two on their list is India and parts of Southeast Asia. Um, when those will happen and, and how it will all go down, I don't know. Right. I mean, that speaks to a broader economic impact. Lots of things happening at a broader level that could easily derail that or push that for a bit. So we'll see. But again, there's not a lot of uncovered ground where people have disposable income that the UFC hasn't already shown its presence. Because that's the thing. They, they have not made a huge splash in India or parts of Southeast Asia. But even if they did, they need to get a return through people essentially having enough disposable income to pay those high ticket prices to go see events and pay for merch and all the other and, and pay-per-views, right? Obviously the U S has the highest pay-per-view um, rate, but you wouldn't want to go and then show pay-per-views for free in India. If you can avoid it, right? There's, there's a fair amount of money involved into moving into a new market and, that's what that would be. So instead, they've moved into sponsorships. That's been their growth strategy for revenue. And it's been working. They've re-upped on media rights deals, which isn't really sponsorship, but is, is adjacent, right? I mean, obviously, depending on what platform you're streaming or you're doing whatever content, um, that's going to affect you know the media rights deals. Or sorry, the, the sponsorships that you are able to acquire based on who's seeing it, who's got to deal with said company, et cetera, et cetera. But then you've seen all these sponsorship deals just continually come up. Crypto.com, The Rock, you're, you're, they're just going to keep coming, right? The NFT partnership with Dapper Labs, everybody's telling me, oh man, like they really lost money. No, they didn't. The UFC didn't lose a dime on that. They made the agreement to sell the name, image, and likeness of their fighters. And then the UFC NFT guys are the ones who actually made the NFTs, sell them, et cetera. If that goes completely under, UFC walks away fine. They didn't. It's not a joint venture where they've put in some financial stake. They are just basically, oh, okay, you want our stuff? Cool, pay us this amount of money and then use it however you want for branding. Same as regular trading card companies do. This is how the UFC is pushing its revenue forecasts and its growth. And we've talked about Endeavor relying on the UFC for the majority of its revenue right now. It still needs it. Other things are starting to turn in Endeavor's favor, but it's not going to be a quick and simple turn, especially with rising interest rates with 60% of their debt. That's just not how it'll work. So then we come back to the Rock Partnership. Why are the fighters getting no cut when they've gotten a cut on the Venom deal, the Crypto.com deal, all these other deals? Why are they not getting some type of cut? I think there could be a couple of reasons. One, would not be shocked if there is some, you know, locker room money thrown around for certain fighters. If you're doing a big commercial or you're doing, you know, a featured interview or something, that wouldn't be super shocking to me. But it's not going to be standard and it's going to be at the UFC's discretion. The other piece of this is, again, trying to expand revenue, but they want to keep costs lower. 
big way to keep costs lower is not give fighters any cut of this. It's that simple. It goes from a pretty low cost venture to a no cost adventure or venture for the UFC. If they do this right now, I mean, they do say here that it's a team up, right? So in terms of what that means, that can mean a couple of things, right? Co-branded project. I've, I've seen that in my experience mean anything from, Oh yeah. The, the rock just, you know, paid for the, licensing and all that to the UFC actually put some money behind it and then gets a cut of shoe sales. But uh, we don't know the details on that either way though. Cutting fighters out just helps keep costs down. And that's the name of the game. As we've talked about many a time that is endeavors whole strategy in buying out the UFC and using them to fund the rest of their company. It's, private equity, even though Endeavor isn't private equity, but it's private equity 101, right? Like you, you buy a company, you look for revenue growth and you cut costs and bloat. And this is what they consider bloat. Now, will fighters be kind of outraged out this? I don't know. That's a really good question. It'll be interesting to see how many fighters pick this up. Um, again, we've seen a shift where more and more fighters are complaining about pay. They seem to kind of grasp the concept of maybe they are not getting what they believe to be their fair share. Unions are at an all-time high in public support in the U.S. That will play a huge factor. Um, but whether or not that actually moves anywhere, hard to say, right? It hasn't done much yet. Again, whether they would go a union route, uh, go a an association try to adopt the Ali Act. All of those have pretty huge blockers at the moment. Feels like things are slowly shifting towards a more union uh, professional bargaining or fighter association type thing, but it's it's there's no real indication that that is a guarantee and that that's going to happen anytime soon. If anything, I would say in a five-year time horizon, that's still not happening. Maybe 10 years if things continue to shift and build momentum, possibly, but it's hard to say right now. And then there's a the lawsuit, which we'll actually get into a little bit in the quick hits, but lots of things in the way for fighters to kind of negotiate and, and bring some leverage to the table against the UFC. Regardless of how fighters interpret this and and what they say there won't be any action i think by the ufc or the rocks company unless mainstream media picks up on the rocks company's failings to pay fighters i think that's the one button that could push this where suddenly you're going to say well actually fighters are going to get this much pay blah 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 i don't see that happening but that's really the weak point here because while the UFC is accustomed to just absorbing an immense amount of negative uh, <laughs> negative feedback and criticism, they have kind of just rolled with it and at this point are expected to roll with it, right? The Rocks company, on the other hand, uh, Project Rock, they may take a more traditional approach to negative PR. Right. Let's say a bunch of entertainment 
outlets, mainstream entertainment outlets like Variety or what have you started reporting on the fact that like, oh, Rock's doing this UFC deal, but isn't paying the fighters. That's crazy. Then he might push for we got to give him something. Or, or the people in charge of the project, because I doubt The Rock is the one spearheading this individually, right? Um, they may push for something. But again, it's it's hard to discern whether or not, if that happened, it's hard to discern whether or not they would react that way. And I don't see any indication right now that that's going to happen. There's a couple of articles I've seen out there, but not from bigger name outlets, And again, if it's just the MMA media reporting on this, there's very unlikely to be any pushback that affects the Rock and the UFC not paying fighters. And this, again, will continue to happen. I would bet money that in the next X amount of years, we will continue to see new partnership fighters get paid nothing or get paid a fraction of the deal. We don't know the specific terms of this deal. It's true. It might be contingent on specific retail sales. Even then, it's it's hard to look at and say, okay, like this isn't a cost cutting measure. As why as why fighters are getting kind of pushed out of this deal. I, I can't look at it any other way from a business perspective myself. Uh, if somebody else has a different opinion about this, I'd be happy to hear it and discuss it but again this looks like classic new sponsorship and then cost cutting measure we're not paying the fighters on this should the fighters be paid hard to hard to argue that they shouldn't be compensated in some way just because if they're truly independent contractors right you can't just modify a contract midway without both parties signing on I've done many independent contractor agreement. Once it's signed, you can't tell someone to do more work that's outside that scope without an amendment. Right? You you can't. People, now, now that doesn't mean that as an independent contractor, I can't say, okay, I'll do this for you, right? If I want to maintain the relationship, which is kind of what a lot of this is. Um, Sure, I want to be in good standing with you. I want to keep my client happy. Sure, I'll do this for you. You can say that and it's fine. But if I were to push back and be like, no, you can't do this, then it would be up to the company to decide what would happen there. Right? Would you propose an amendment and then we sign it? If not, there are a million different other ways you can terminate agreements or you can, in the UFC's case, they can punish independent contractors by assigning them particular work, right? Um, Wouldn't be shocking to see that happen where, okay, you're not going to do this stuff. Fine. Then blah, blah, blah. But my guess is these contracts are also, you know, the fighter sign here also basically contain provisions that say at its sole discretion, the UFC can add X and X sponsor. And as part of the uniform agreement, and uh, policy fighters will adhere to wear this without any additional compensation, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there's some clause in there that covers all this. So there, there isn't really that much of a leg to stand on um, for fighters in terms of pushing back contractually. Cause I can't, I can't imagine the UFC would not have included that somewhere since this was the 
their end goal, or at least I believe it was their end goal. So let me know your thoughts on all this. Um, should the fighters get paid here? Do you care if fighters don't get paid? Is that kind of like this is what you signed up for? It's just a uniform, get over it. Love to hear what your guys' thoughts are and opinions are in, in regards to this topic. But yeah, expect more of this. Again, I will I will shout it from the rooftops over and over. Next three, four years, that UFC uniform is going to look a lot different than it looks right now. All right, on to our quick hit section for this week. First up, the UFC is extending its apparel deal with Venom. So as we just talked about with sponsors being able to put their logos on the Venom uniform, uh, the UFC and Venom have announced a multi-year extension of this. Uh, This comes from MMA Junkie. Uh, UFC COO Lawrence Epstein told MMA Junkie at the time the agreement was set for three years, but less than halfway in. Uh, two, uh, two sides have opted to extend in a multi-year renewal. We don't know any financial de- details or the exact time frame, but it sounds like it's going to be at least another two or three years added on to the deal that was already in place. Uh, Venom founder and CEO Frankic Dupius, Dupius sorry, uh, was quoted as saying, the enthusiastic reception from UFC athletes and fans to launch and release of our UFC collections has convinced us to continue our adventure inside the octagon and to continue to improve our products to serve a demanding and passionate public. So again, no idea if this bumps up fighter tier pay at all, what the new financial deals are, whether Venom got more money for the extra years, if it was the same amount of money, but just extended over a longer period per year. Um, But this isn't super shocking. It makes a lot of sense. As we just talked about, the ability for the UFC to bring in additional sponsors and put them on the Venom kits is a huge boost for this partnership. Uh, for Venom, this is obviously a big deal for them. It gets their name and brand out there far more than if they were not in business with the UFC. Uh, and and my guess would be where Reebok, being a bigger company, having kind of the already established brand and name, probably was a little bit more selective on what other sponsors could be put on their uniforms and may have been a little bit harder to work with. The Venom deal with UFC has gone really well, I think, in part because if I had to guess, Venom is kind of giving the UFC carte blanche to do whatever they want with the uniforms and put whatever additional sponsors they want on the uniforms. Uh, Clearly, the UFC has all the leverage in that deal, whereas in the Reebok one, yes, they had some leverage, but it was far more... It was closer to an even seat at the table for both parties, just given the name and size of the Reebok brand. So not surprising at all that they've decided to extend. Makes a lot of sense for both parties. Wouldn't be shocked if it extends again once the deal is actually up. Uh, Next up, we have to talk about a article from the Wall Street Journal stating that Disney is exploring a membership program like Amazon Prime to offer discounts and perks in kind of package uh, streaming, theme park access, all this kind of deal. So similar with Amazon Prime, right? Where you can get, you pay the whatever fee, uh, you get packages delivered faster. You're able to watch Amazon Prime streaming. Uh, You've got some music on there, I think. You kind of have that, you know, multifaceted service. Disney is looking at doing that. with Disney Plus, and I would assume ESPN Plus and Hulu are also on the table with that. And then you can also get, you know, tickets to their theme parks or other 
offerings that they have. It's not a bad idea in a lot of ways, especially given the size of Disney and their multi-product offerings. How this would affect MMA and why we're bringing it up is the more that ESPN Plus gets put into these kind of bundles, right? We've already talked a little bit about the Disney Plus bundle, which is Disney Plus plus ESPN Plus plus Hulu. Um, The more it's packaged into these bundles and the more Disney focuses on bundling everything, it diminishes the individual impact of each service and product, right? If the bundle becomes super popular, yes, what products are offered in that bundle is important, but ultimately the amount of bundles being sold is the bottom line, right? If for whatever reason uh, you've got, let's take the Disney plus bundle, for example, you've got Disney plus ESPN plus Hulu. Let's say those bundles are selling in far greater numbers than individual memberships to each one. When you look at the actual revenue, right, you might drill in and say, well, a lot of people are not buying Hulu. Like that's actually the weakest one. If we just did a Disney plus ESPN plus together, people would take that. Okay. Well then you might dive into those numbers and look at maybe cutting Hulu or having Hulu be standalone or what have you. But as long as everyone is doing well in the individual stream, or at least average, it's much harder to drill in and say, man, we really need to tweak what content is going on to ESPN plus because of blah, blah, blah. That's not to say that there won't be people focused on that. And there won't be whole divisions focused on that, but the larger the company gets, the more diluted its importance becomes, right? Um, I've worked for some huge companies. I mean, massive Fortune 500, Fortune 200 companies. And what inevitably tends to happen in these situations is you get these fiefdoms, right? Where in this scenario, you have Disney being Disney, and then you have the theme parks division, and then the streaming and et cetera, et cetera, and studios and all that fun stuff. And each fiefdom becomes more and more isolated from the grander picture where if the C-suite and executive team is busy, focused on a hundred things, it's harder to see the one or two that might be slipping or if they're fine, it's harder for them to care, right? There's just too much going on and there's too many strategic um, planning initiatives that have to be done. The squeaky wheel gets the the grease or the oil or whatever. Sorry, again, it's been, been a week, <laughs> but you get what I'm trying to say, right? And as that happens, it then becomes, as we circle it back to MMA, the UFC will become a less important factor in the grander scheme of things. Now, that's not to say that the media rights are going to be terrible, right? When this comes up for renewal, like they're not going to offer them at least, you know, double or at least what we've seen in the past couple of years. But the smaller that cog becomes, 
right? The smaller that financial item and line item becomes in the grander scheme of things, the less incentive there is for Disney to tell ESPN like, hey, you've got a bid for the UFC media rights and you've got to make it a huge deal. Because if the UFC and ESPN and that deal is making up a percentage of ESPN Plus, which is making up a even smaller percentage of a bundle, which is making an even smaller percentage of et cetera, et cetera, it's going to lessen the blow and the impact of if something changes there. So it could very much adversely affect ESPN's offerings for media rights to the UFC. And I'm not talking again by hundreds of million dollars here, but enough that somebody else might make a better deal and the UFC might switch. It doesn't take much, right? Other people are going to bid for the UFC's media rights and it's going to be a focus for a lot of other companies. It doesn't take much in these tense bidding wars for one slight thing to alter where the UFC ends up. I mean, we've just seen what happened in Brazil in the UFC media rights, this could hypothetically impact in a ripple effect down to the UFC and ESPN's deal. Will it? Way too early to tell. I mean, Disney is just exploring these bundles right now anyway. It, but it's years off, and it's years off for the UFC ESPN renewal. So that's why I'm bringing it up. I will keep an eye on it, but it could have a ripple effect, right? The more you package a product to be part of a larger bundle, to be part of another larger bundle, the impact each individual product or ser- service has lessens by a set percentage or amount. And it continues to do that way. So that's why I'm bringing that up. Uh, last thing we need to talk about is there was a motion to dismiss the Cajun Johnson lawsuit against the UFC antitrust lawsuit. So if you remember in the antitrust lawsuits, there's the original And then there was the one brought by Cajun Johnson from 2017 onward. Zufa is now looking to dismiss the Cajun Johnson lawsuit. And Judge Boulware, who is alive and well, has opted to set a video conference, I believe, at the end of this month to discuss that motion. So I will attempt to attend that, um, and we will figure out whether or not that will actually happen on time. I'm sure we won't hear anything about, you know, the motion to certify the class, especially with the um, other stuff going on in the uh, Supreme Court ruling. So which, by the way, not going to get into it on this episode. But if you haven't read MMA payouts and Jason Cruz's work on that, highly recommend you need to go check that out because of what's going on. Um, But yeah, this is a motion to dismiss, not the main one that we've been talking about over and over with the class certification and all that. This is instead the second lawsuit that Cajun Johnson brought that covers 2017 and beyond for fighters and the class action lawsuit. So we'll see what happens there. I will keep you informed. But yeah, that's our quick hit section for this week. Let me know your thoughts, comments on anything I just went over. If I missed anything, let me know so I can add it to the next quick hit section. And I love, you know, giving props to readers and listeners. So let me know, guys. All right, last thing we're going to talk about today is Triller has announced its IPO, has raised some money for it, and they're getting sued by Sony for non-payment. So um, if you haven't been following, and we I know we haven't talked about Triller on the podcast in quite a bit, but Triller confidentially filed for an IPO at the end of June. 
was originally going to do a SPAC, but that kind of fell through similar to what happened with one championship, right? Where they were all pumped up for the SPAC and then kind of didn't happen and then went to an IPO. Triller's doing the same thing here. Uh, they've raised $200 billion in financing in the form of convertible debt and their new target valuation, this is also according to musically.com, uh, is down to $3 billion. That's 40% less than the $5 billion they were targeting with the SPAC. Now, as we've talked about before, the SPAC market kind of imploded. It was very strange, right? Made a weird comeback during the pandemic and then just kind of imploded. But with it, IPO markets have also softened quite a bit. Not as badly as SPACs have, but still not you know, a huge amount of appetite for IPOs. So this seems more of a plan B option than a, oh, you know what? We think it makes sense to, you know, go IPO instead of SPAC, especially, you know, cutting your valuation almost in half. It's definitely a plan B. Um, and it's not great for Triller in the long run, right? Um, this is a company, again, that has followed the mark of so many other companies, Endeavor included, of finding a niche and then acquiring several parallel or sometimes even non-adjacent services and products and putting them all together under one umbrella that where you can, you know, get some synergies in terms of efficiency or cost, you're able to get those, but it very mergers acquisitions heavy um, between the, you know, TikTok app type stuff, the verses uh, where, you know, the rappers go against each other, um, the BKFC and, and Triller fight shows and boxing, right? It's it's just kind of this mishmash of things all put together uh, that there are some synergies there. And it's kind of unconventional synergies, I would imagine, but it's more about just acquiring a line adding to the revenue and then building for the inevitable sell, right? You leverage your debt up, you get it public, you cash out as an executive. And then, you know, you can stay if you want, but the end goal is the exit strategy is IPO it, get your money and then either on to the next one or decide to stay on and continue to work on it. It's pretty much what Endeavor did. Um, Endeavor, I would say had a little bit more, foresight in their synergies um then again uh, it's you know a little bit of this a little bit of that so anyway this is a normal strategy for a company like trailer to take uh raising the 200 million dollars in convertible debt is also big for them before going to an ipo and trying to sell this but we know that a trailer has raised a total of 400 million dollars at least that we know publicly. So that's half. They've doubled what they've raised with this latest round. Um, but we know that they have trouble or history in the past of paying particular people. Uh, as noted in this article, uh, you know, given past controversies around the company's public statements on user figures, there will be plenty of interest in its S1 filing. Yes, because Triller has said that there's a ton of users using its app, all this other stuff. And there's been a lot of speculation on that. Uh, we also know that Sony filed a lawsuit recently claiming that Triller has not only failed to make monthly payments totally millions of dollars, but has also continued to provide Sony's music catalog for use on the platform, despite 
Sony terminating their deal on August 8th. Uh, so Billboard is reporting, according to this article, that Sony is suing for copyright infringement and seeking damages, as well as requesting an injunction to stop Triller from using its recordings. We've also seen Triller do this to UMG um, and, you know, not pay, I believe it's Swiss Beats and uh forget who else oh timbaland announced that they were suing chiller for mispayments as well as some fighters like sergey kovalev not being paid it's not great right it's not a great look for chiller so the question becomes why are they not paying these people especially when they just got 200 million dollars in a convertible note there's a couple reasons right um Again, we don't know exactly what their financials look like. So the S1 and the prospectus will hopefully shed some light on that. But two, what could be the case is accounting, right? Um, now, for those of you uninitiated with accounting, yes, it's financial statements and numbers and what have you. But there are different accounting methods and there are a lot of t tricks. And I mean, I guess, yeah, I want to say tricks and... I'm trying to think of a good word for this. There are a lot of tricks and methods, sure is what we'll go with, that can be used in accounting to paint a picture in the way a company might want, especially if that company is private, right? And not being audited in a way that a public company might be. It's a lot like data analysis you can pick certain data points and you can use data to tell you a story, but you have some influence over that story. It's not just, Oh, this is the raw hard facts, you know, unjustifiable truth. In some cases it's that clear cut. In a lot of other cases, there are ways to at least lean the story more towards one decision or another. I've seen this happen a ton in my time. When I was younger, I also made the mistake of nothing unethical, but you know, I looked for certain data points and certain things that my own bias got in the way. And it wasn't until, you know, during the reviews when I was, you know, and this is when I was right out of college and when they were like, well, did you look at this and this? And they're like, I, you know, gotta be careful of your own bias. And it's true. You do. Accounting has some of those same qualities. You can do that with accounting in some ways, right? Um, if you are a cash method basis, then you're only taxed on current receipts. There are tricks that work where if you don't, for example, if I'm going to investors, right? Or to look for money, to raise money for financing, and I haven't, I'm behind on payments to let's say Sony or what have you. If those aren't reflected, in my financial statements, right? Because I haven't actually paid them out, even though I definitely owe them. There are ways you can look at the, and set up the financial statements to kind of shield that, especially to the naked eye, right? To put the, to move some of the debt into different line items that unless someone's going to, you know, meticulously go in and dive into these things may not realize what's going on and may see a different picture than the one that's actually there. So if I go into an hour or two hour long board meeting 
where you go over your financial statements, there's a good chance I might miss it as an investor, right? Because investors are not hiring, at least, I mean, depending on the amount of money they're going to spend in the agreements, this is not always the case. But a lot of times, investors do not hire their own accounting firm to go and pay them to go do an audit of a potential you know, uh, company's books, right? They kind of have the investor presentations, they have some handouts, they look it over, and then they kind of make their decision. Now, if we're talking tons of money, then sometimes you see that happening. If we're talking, you know, buying like a huge amount of equity, you can see that happen. But if we're talking about, you know, if we're talking about doing particular institutional or retail financing, there's a good chance the investors got a, a packet and a presentation and then maybe looked into it a little bit, but didn't spend a ton of time on it because usually those investors are also looking at hundreds of presentations and have a lot going on. They're not going to focus on just one singular entity. You'd have to go pretty, pretty heavily into something or near all in for that to be the case. So again, depending on the accounting method used, you can definitely put things in certain areas that make it appear that you're doing quite well in certain things without your future obligations or even past lapsed obligations show up in the financial statements. I've seen this happen before and it's all technically legal, right? Ethical, you could get into that whole dilemma, but from a business standpoint, definitely legal and definitely something I've seen companies do before. So that could be part of the reason why we you've got these late payments is, hey, I've got an investor meeting here. I'm doing this. Great. I'm going to go ahead and do this. They need to sign off by this date. We have to say we're not going to material change our financial forms by this date until we receive certain money. Cool. We get that money and then we go ahead and pay them out, right? As we're seeing, um, you know, with uh, Triller saying, you know, hoping it was just a misunderstanding that they didn't pay Timbaland and Swiss Beats and they've paid other people late. Um, you know, this is something that could be tied into that. Now I'm not saying that's what's happening, but I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't be shocked. Um, also again, you have to go to court, prove it. If you're Triller, you can sit there and deny and say, no, we didn't do that. We did pay you this. This isn't, this is fine, whatever. And then it's up to the investors to then look at that and say, okay, am I spooked enough to get out of this? Or Triller's telling me that they're fine and that this is all a misunderstanding. Sony's suing them saying they didn't get this money. These people are suing them saying they didn't get this money. Uh, who do I believe here? Well, I probably have a relationship with Triller and certain people at Triller, right? If they're selling me on something, I probably trust them to a certain degree because I've already decided to be pretty interested in financing. Or if I've already put money in, it might be kind of a sunk cost fallacy of like, I've already put money into this. I trust this guy. I believe in his vision. I'm going to side with him, right? Bias, bias all over the place. If a company, a CEO, uh, VP of sales, who, what have you, if someone is able to get you to buy in to the story and the belief of a particular company, it can be very hard to rattle that belief. It's something we see in bigger companies all the time. Um, WeWork might be the greatest example of this. That was something that Adam Newman was phenomenal at, is selling the story, getting 
people with tons of money to buy into this belief that WeWork would be this technology company and all this stuff were on the outside, you were probably like, what? This doesn't make much sense at all. But as things started to fall apart, right, with SoftBank and WeWork, they didn't, SoftBank didn't just pull everything and say, okay, we're done here. They kept bailing WeWork out to the point where then they bought WeWork for a much reduced price instead of what the IPO was going to be and paid out Adam Newman a ton of money. Right? It, it should have been something where SoftBank should have looked at this and said, okay, this is a sunk cost, something is wrong, cut ties, been done. Instead, they continually tried to help them out. The same goes here. If you've already put money up for Triller, you believe in this, you're sold on the idea, you see you know, the Jake Paul boxing matches, you see the Versus doing so well, all this other stuff, you see how well TikTok's doing, you see Triller is a competitor to that. You believe in the space, you believe in the story, and then you've got a bunch of people saying, hey, we didn't get paid, and you've got Triller on the inside saying, no, we did pay him, they just don't understand, it's fine, blah, blah, blah. You're much more likely to believe Triller than you are Sony. Now, yes, you've got a lot of voices saying they didn't get paid. That should be a red flag, but depends on how much you're in for. Depends on, you know, well, this isn't great, but can I get my money back? Sun cost fallacy has a lot of pull on people, people that you would think it does not have a pull on. But trust me, I've seen it happen with lots of people with a lot of money who should have gotten out way sooner, and then they don't. It is a true bias that a lot of people struggle with. And that's how it is. So again, wouldn't be shocked if Triller is using these, you know, non-payments for something with what they're talking about um, to investors. And then also wouldn't be shocked if people still keep giving them money. I mean, that 40% valuation cut is never good, um, but still $3 billion. So if you've invested early on in Triller, you're still probably making a lot of money. You're probably not making as much as you would hope to, but you're probably hoping still that you're going to end up with a $3 billion valuation and your IPO is going to do well, right? It, it's much harder than people think to stop investors from financing uh financing ideas that clearly have issues. And I'm not saying Triller can't pull this all off, right? Um, but outside looking in now, a new investor is probably far more wary than someone in the money and that kind of believes in the vision. And even then, if you can sell the vision, we've seen this happen with other companies, especially in MMA. If you can sell the vision, regardless of what your actual financials are, I mean, you're you're good to go. That's pretty much the CEO, president, what have you job is sell, sell the vision of the company, get investors to say, you know what? That sounds awesome. We're in. That's really what it's all about. So where this ends actually ends up, that S1 filing is going to be massive. We're probably going to do a big podcast on that when it comes out. Um, and where they end up going for, you know, a price as well as how, the stock does the initial day, that'll all be very interesting to me too. But until they actually fire the S1, we're kind of just left in the dark on this. I would expect them to pay Sony um, and Swiss Beats and, and Timbaland and the fighters that they haven't paid. Anybody they haven't paid, I'm assuming they will get that all going 
before the IPO is launched. They may not, but it would probably make sense for them to kind of clear that all out before they go on the roadshow to sell the IPO to institutions. Um, so wouldn't be shocked if that stuff gets resolved sooner rather than later. But yeah, it's it's welcome to startup land. <sighs> Let me know your thoughts on Triller. Do you think Triller is going to make it? Do you think Triller, you know, if, if Triller goes public, are you going to buy stock? I want to hear from you. Um, what's your belief in the company? Your thoughts as a consumer? Or if you're on the business side, what do you think is going on there? It's interesting to say the least. I am excited to see what the prospectus looks like and see where this goes. That's for sure. So yeah, let me know your thoughts on that, guys. All right. And that wraps up another episode of the Five Business Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening again. Like, subscribe, bell notification if you're on YouTube. If you're on Apple, Stick, Stitcher, Sticker, <laughs> Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, what have you. Uh, love you guys as always. Feel free to, you know, drop me any lines on anything. I've talked to a couple of you guys. It's great talking to you. Love talking about this stuff. So keep doing that. Uh, Twitter handle is all day OJ. That's probably the easiest place to find me. You can also leave comments um, on the sure dog page as well, or the YouTube. I usually get to them. So let me know any topics you guys want me to cover in the future. We will go back to longer shows. I'm assuming uh, next week after the holiday. But yeah, until then, y'all, enjoy your holiday weekend if you are in the U.S. and you have Labor Day. If not, I'm sorry, you got to work and get money.